Hello and welcome to episode 240 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we review the 27th feature film from the iconic Pixar Animation Studios, Elemental. But first, how are you, Scott? I'm doing well. I've been seeing a lot of movies recently. It is a Juneteenth weekend as we record this. I had the luxury of getting today off. Not everyone has today off, I, I understand, but I sort of celebrated Oops. the long weekend with uh, a lot of a lot of movie viewing. I think it's fair to say. We were talking right before going live about the different movies that I saw. So, you know, some you're going to be seeing in the coming week or two. Some you are avoiding, um, and some just because it was New York City, they had different retrospectives going on here that I had to go and and catch and stuff. So yeah, it's been a it's been an active weekend in the movie department for me. Yeah, I uh, I did have to work today, as you alluded to. So it was a, a normal weekend for me. I did manage to catch. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse a second time, which, uh, you know, liked just as much the second time, if not a little bit more. Um, but uh, today uh, I, I was in the office, although I spent some of the day at least uh, working, of course, but also uh, watching Tennessee in the College World Series, Stay Alive by Beating Stanford in a very exciting game. So um, that was a a good movie of sorts, I guess, that I got to, to watch today. Um, but yeah, one of the stretch, movies you saw... stretch, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll one of the it. movies you saw was Asteroid City, um, of course, and I'll be seeing that this week so we can discuss next week on the podcast with Jay. Of course. Um, as the, the latest entry in our Anderson countdown, and all the episodes are out now, so... Uh, retrospective shameless. next week, but yeah. True, yeah. The retrospective is still to come, but as far as the specific movies... Those are all out now, so shameless plug. If you haven't checked those out, they're right here in the same podcast feed. So um, go back through those and uh, listen to our takes on all, all of Wes Anderson's feature films. Absolutely. Yeah, but Scott, today we are not discussing a Wes Anderson film. We are discussing, however, Elemental, the latest from Pixar. Directed by Pixar voice actor and good dinosaur homer Peter Sloan, Elemental is a fantastical rom-com set in the world of Element City, where anthropomorphic elements like water, air, and fire all interact with each other. Leah Lewis voices Ember, a young fire girl who dreams one day of taking over the fireplace, a convenience store run by her parents that sells various fire-related crafts, food, and gifts. There's seemingly only one thing that stands in the way of Ember taking over, and that is her, her fiery temper a temper which she has yet to fully control and which often has destructive consequences. Left in charge of the store for a day as a test run, Ember's temper eventually boils over and causes a flood that attracts the attention of city inspector Wade Ripple, a water element voiced by Mamadou Athey. At first, Wade cracks down on the building code violations he finds at the fireplace, but after hearing Ember's story of xenophobia and parental pressure, he takes some pity on her and endeavors to help Ember save her father's store and her own dream. The two set out to find the source of the leak that poses danger to the fire elements and their corner of Element City, and in the process begin to develop, to develop feelings for each other. Feelings that Ember finds difficult to parse given her family's aversion to water elements. But as the feelings between the two grow deeper, Ember is forced to reckon with what her real dream for the future is, and whether both Wade and her family can somehow be a part of it. 
Scott is elemental, a charming and refresh refreshingly low stakes addition to the Pixar canon, or does this parable about xenophobia spring a leak that it's never able to patch? I, I was pretty charmed by this film. I'll be honest. I, I think the reviews had been somewhat mixed and certainly out of can had been lukewarm, probably is a fair description of, of the of the mixed reviews coming out of there. But you know, I went in. I wasn't sure what to expect because I feel like I'd I'd seen a little bit of both sides, like some a lot of the people that I maybe follow more closely or think are maybe generally more reflective of my opinion were mixed on the film itself they thought it was good but maybe it was lacking in a, in a department here or there and i'm sure we'll talk about those things and i think when i watched this film i was pretty i was pretty taken by it i found the film to be one as you come to expect with pretty much any pixar endeavor just absolutely gorgeous i found the world design of element city to be really i mean just honestly really phenomenal i think that this whole idea that there's this huge city that interacts in all these different ways because all of its inhabitants are these sort of primal elements. And the potential for that is something that idea wise and in terms of a concept is, I think, just really inspired personally. And I really appreciated that element. And I think one of the one of the cool parts of the film is that it's able to tease a lot of that and make the world feel extremely lived in, but not necessarily show you everything going on. I think it's able to show you that there is a lot in this world, but the film itself does not necessarily show you every single thing that's a part of that setting. I think that's really good world building for me personally, because I, you know, I sort of left the theater wanting to, to sort of live and experience element city even more than we did in the film personally. So I think that was like a huge, a huge thumbs up for me in the character and, and story department. I think the way you describe like a, a little bit more low stakes, it has this sort of charm and quality to it. The characters and the story that it is low stakes in the grand scheme of things, but I feel like we can all remember a time where, you know, whether it's exactly this kind of story or, or not, you know, it feels like it's the entire world, right? Like it feels so high stakes for the individual. And yeah, I, I was, I was sort of really just taken, taken by the whole thing. And I loved Ember as a character. I'll be honest. I thought, I think she's a great character. I think even though I'm, you know, personally not the child of immigrants and don't have a and don't have many shared experiences with her, I think that a lot of those emotions, that desire to to live up to what you what your expectations are for yourself and what your and what your family's expectations are for you, I think that's just like such a relatable experience, generally speaking. And I found her sort of desire to find her place in the world that's right for her to be just really um just something really I could really feel like I connect with that character on. And so the characterization of that I thought was, was really strong, really phenomenal, you know, things that I'm less positive on. Maybe uh, I do think one of the common criticisms of the film is that the sort of third act lets, lets sort of maybe the overarching theme and narrative down, maybe not in the undermining it, but maybe just not necessarily connecting uh, elementally with what's going on in the rest of the film. And, and I would agree with that. I, I, I do think that the ending is disappointing, not from a, oh, I'm disappointed they made X, Y, D decision. It just feels like the, the like the direction they go in the final 15, 20 minutes of the film just sort of feels quite disconnected from the rest of what's going on. And I guess I just sort of shrug and be like, I guess that was a weird decision. I don't really get it. Um, 
frankly. I just I just didn't really fully understand what they were going for. But everything before that, I I really, really enjoyed. I liked it a lot. And I'm not as as big on maybe Wade as a character. I think that he's as much as I connected with and and felt really invested in Ember, something about Wade just didn't really capture me the same way. And maybe we can get into some of the reasons why that might be. But yeah, overall, I think it's it's more of a win than a, a miss for me. I think this is a really enduring film. And I think one of the things that I mentioned in my letterbox review that I sort of concluded with, and I'll conclude my thoughts with here is that, you know, in, in spite of the sort of maybe the third act problems, if you will, and Wade, not necessarily being a character who captures me as much as, as much as Ember, I could hundred percent see myself revisiting this film. And I had a great time watching it. It sort of gave me really strong, positive emotions um, watching that and sort of getting to experience element city and I'd absolutely revisit it. So I think overall it's a win for Pixar. Is it quote unquote lesser Pixar? Probably. But I think that just sort of speaks to the quality um, of Pixar's oeuvre and their filmmaking than, than anything else. And I think this is, this is a thumbs up for me. Yeah. You know, I could not have had lower expectations going into this movie. Sure. To be honest with you, um, we talked about it recently when we talked about the first screening of this at Cannes and the fact that, you know, like you said, the reviews were very lukewarm for it. I had already felt prior to this that the the concept of the elements interacting with each other is just feels like it's it's been done. Uh, it feels like it's been played out. Um, mm -hmm. You think about, of course, Avatar, The Last Airbender. You think about recently Raya and the Last Dragon, uh, a Disney animation film. Um, also had that sort of thing going on. And, you know, Pixar has been accused in recent years of sort of running out of ideas creatively. Um, and so I, I was afraid that all of those would be at play here. And even while I was, you know, watching the movie, I could certainly feel that the undercurrent, the the deeper, you know, I, I described it as a parable about xenophobia. You know, they're, they're, it's obviously trying to be about more than just this romance, as most Pixar films are nowadays. You know, you, you, you'd be hard pressed to find one that isn't also trying to explore something more substantive and meaningful, um, you know, even up to something like Soul, right, which is almost an existential film in a way. Um, and, you know, this is trying to be a a parable about immigration, immigrant families, you know, and the like. And I don't really think that that part of it ever really comes together. I, I mean, you're, you know, the third act, yes, definitely. It, it makes some weird choices there. But even before that, um, you know, there's elements to the story, like the fact that they can't really touch at all because she's fire and he's water of course i mean that makes sense in the context of the elements it doesn't really make sense in the context of you know an an immigrant i suppose interacting with somebody of a different race or ethnicity or background than that really i think it does um, make sense like this idea of of like forbidden love like the notion that you are going to be a disappointment if you like on a, on a core level, like not just like disapproval, but like on a core level, you are going to have failed your people, your family, your species is obviously like a huge exaggeration of that concept. But like at a core level, it is it is forbidden to sort of romance outside of your community. I think that I think that sort of ties. 
I, I know what you're saying, but it just feels like the the touching element just takes takes me out of it in a way. Because you can still it can still be a forbidden relationship without there being this actual physical barrier between the two of them. I guess that was where I, I just had some difficulty with it. You also add in the fact that Wade, as we mentioned, is like a government employee, basically. Mm. Um, and, you know, some people referenced Zootopia in, uh, in respect to, to this movie. And I, I have never seen Zootopia, but I understand that apparently there's an interpretation of it where it comes off as sort of propaganda in a way. Um, I mean, yeah, but sure. I, I mean, that is fair, felt, fair enough, I guess. I, I like Zootopia quite a bit, and I, I suppose you could say sure. it's propaganda. I, again, I don't know. I just know that that's something yeah. that people say. But I did feel a little bit of weird vibes about the fact that, you know, again, thinking about this in terms of the metaphor, like the central romance is between a immigrant and this government employee who is coming through and basically crushing the dreams of immigrants, it seems, by, you know, finding all of these billing, billing code violations and everything with uh, uh -huh. the fireplace, uh, the store that Ember's family runs. And even though, of course, we learn to like Wade and there's more to the character than that, and he starts to I, I mean, maybe not resist is not the right word, but he's helping her to circumvent the bureaucracy of all of this. Um, I still like it. There was still a little bit of a hurdle there. I felt like, like I still kept in the back of my head thinking about, well, this is like, a, I mean, I wouldn't go so far to say it's like, this is like an ice, you know, agent or something like that. Cause he's a city inspector, an you know, he's a building person, <laughs> but he's a, he's a government employee. And in today's day and age, yeah, yeah. the government and immigrants are not necessarily friendly entities with each other. You know, I think he's so, literally an employee of the water of like the water. company. Yeah. I don't know, like the utility company, but maybe know, I'm overblowing point. it in my head, but um, I think there are issues with Wade. It's not, it's 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 related to what you're describing my problem is that i think there's like a confusing metaphor mixing happening here with wade where he is both a government employee but also a rich white uh, he's a rich white dude yeah like and it's mm -hmm. just like very confusing to be like is he a government employee or is he a rich white dude like which isn't because <laughs> i feel like the overlap in those two aren't generally speaking like that that much um yeah but and we yeah We'll get to the third act eventually, but, you know, some of these problems, I think, even kind of spiral a little bit once with some of the choices that get made there in the third act. But I'm sounding negative sure. in spite of all that, in spite of the, like, thematic undercurrent of the film, I th to me, being, like, essentially flawed in a lot of ways. I was charmed by it just as you were. I couldn't, yeah. you know, I ultimately couldn't resist I think, you know, you've hit the good points there. I think the characters, particularly Ember, is really strong. I think the world building is pretty strong. And I just like seeing, I mean, I yes, the emotional stakes are maybe high, but in the context of Pixar, right, in the context, you know, comparing it to something like Soul or Inside Out, you know, the, the stakes are low. It, it feels more on par with something like Luca, right, which um, is a film that I really enjoyed. Um, and really enjoyed a lot of it because it, it was low stakes, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I, I certainly enjoy those movies that I mentioned, like Soul and Inside Out, but, you know, animated films can just be charming little fables, too. They don't have to be, you know, these big psychological experiments every single time. And to be fair, most of I Pixar's movies are not Inside Out, but I do, I do understand what you're saying. 
Sure, but there there's always something deeper. It feels like I mean, in the, for the most part, running through these films, you know. Um, sure. To, the Toy Story films are dealing a lot with growing up, right? And that, um, that feels like on the level of stakes of, as this, though. This is a film ultimately about maybe. growing up. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, but anyway, it just feels like in recent years, some of their films have been too heady. Um, and sure. I didn't feel that with this one. I, it's a rom-com, right? I described it as a rom-com. I think that that's a fair description of it. And that's not something that we've ever really seen for Pixar before. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, I appreciated it. I liked that in terms of the world, it wasn't about like, oh, again, it wasn't like this last airbender, like, fire water air it was just like they're all just in the city and we don't need a lot of lore or backstory or anything on it it's like we understand they're all interacting in the city the fire people are kind of the outcasts obviously fire and water can't like interact with each other just because it's a natural phenomenon or like there doesn't they don't have to overcomplicate things with the world i don't think and i appreciated that it wasn't like this sort of that the elements only play they, they don't play as large of a role i guess as i was expecting that they would it's you know again it they're really just sort of using that to tie into the thematic undercurrent yeah, as it's a thematic concept kind of more than yeah. anything um so i liked all of that you know in spite of the third act having some story choice issues like you know pixar third acts they will usually deliver for you on the emotional level. And I think the last five, 10 minutes or so were really satisfying on an emotional level, even if, you know, narratively there are some issues with it, but the final sort of conversation with her family and just how, how everything wraps up. I felt, I agree. You know, it got me again, in spite of myself, it got me. So I do think the movie has problems. We'll probably talk about it more, but you know, it, it was a fun time. It was, you know, I was able to look past those, I guess. And I think if you go into this and just want to see a fun sort of animated rom-com with this, you know, element spin on it, right? This more creative spin on it that adds some little moments of color and humor here and there and the world building, of course. You will appreciate it. Just don't spend more than 10, 15 seconds thinking about, you know, the larger, you know, stakes of what the movie is trying to say. I think that would be my. I, I disagree with that to an extent. I, uh, look, I, I do think that, that I, I do. Again, I, I definitely think that the final scenes let it down. But I, I don't share your criticism of the of the metaphor earlier on. Personally, I I think the film Yes, obviously, xenophobia is a, a huge part of it. It's one of the driving factors and a lot of the motivations around the older characters. But I, I do think that I, mean, I would I guess I, I'm not an immigrant, so I can't speak to this. But like it, it having heard it and listened to a lot of my friends in college who had who were more of this experience, like I, I kind of felt like that that representation element was was definitely getting captured here in the story. And I think. I get that the the element nature, like not being able to touch or whatever is, is something that was a barrier for you and connecting to that. But for me, it it just felt like sort of um, kind of a a comedic exaggeration of the, of the underlying metaphor of like, there's this, there's this notion, right? That, you know, you're, you've been told for years and years and years and years and years by your family that like, 
you cannot interact with water people. You cannot interact with other elements in the city. And I think that this, this metaphor of like, you have to stay insular within your own community because you can't trust other people because we're like, all we need is right here. Like we are all we need. And I think that, that it's obviously a great exaggeration of that metaphor to go like, you can't physically interact with other elements. But I, I think that for the kind of movie that this is, I, I think that that works. I think, yes, it, I get, I totally understand where your criticism is coming from, but for me, it just sort of, it fit together with sort of the pitch of the film. Like it's not this ultra serious, realistic drama, right? It is this sort of like fantastical world where these these base elements and I think it serves the narrative, even if again, I, I don't know if it necessarily fully completes that circle at the end. Or maybe I should say it positions, I found it interesting that the end of the film sort of positions the narrative as like, actually parents, you need to get over yourself. Like that's like kind of what the end of the film sort of pitches as like the solution to the problem, which like may which or may not- weird. Which may be true, like maybe maybe immigrant parents like should probably just like get over it a little bit. Like maybe that is true, but I was surprised that was the like ultimate direction that it took and in, in its resolution and and not something like a little bit more complicated. But I think I think that's where that comes in to play. Where it's like, well, this is a kids' movie, you know. I know it's not I mean, like it is. I hear what you're saying. To me, and I mean, this is probably my ignorance showing, right? Because I am not an immigrant, ultimately. I'm I guess not. I just don't know if that's a thing, right? Like, is that is that something that immigrant families, immigrant children have issues with, right? Like, interacting with people of different ethnicities, races, like forming, again, in, the, in this context, romantic relationships or whatever. Is that like this forbidden thing? Because to me, I just think about generally yeah, in culture okay okay well yeah definitely is. screw me but uh <laughs> well no it's, I, not, it's not it's I, not my, screw you but it's like the, no, the notion is that I'm... like you will not marry someone outside okay. of your your ethnicity like that is totally a because, thing. okay well see i was thinking just in the general context of like interracial relationships right like i don't find that at least in today's day and age, I don't think that's a particularly controversial idea at all. I mean, sure, there are, of course, there are horrible racist, you know, subsects of people, but, you know, even, even you have to be a real, you have to be like really high on the prejudice racial scale, racist scale, I feel like nowadays to be objecting to like interracial. But, that, but that's a white perspective. And I, I, yes. I, I, one, I think that's a white perspective. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. And two, I think it's, I mean, it obviously does come from a race perspective, but it's it's not like it, it, it's just different, right? Like, I I think it's just it yeah. just is from a different angle and from a different experience, where it's not like you can't be friends or you can't interact with X Y Z. That's why it is an exaggerated metaphor, for sure. But I think the notion that like, okay, yeah, that's that's cool that you like enjoyed being friends with and like having a thing with X Y Z person, but like now it's time for you to get serious and you're going to date a you know. I don't know what the exact comp is. You're going to, you're going to date a fire element. No, you know, it's like that kind of thing. I think it's like that kind of, it's not like you're, you are excommunicated from the family. If you do these things, although and so, I mean, I have heard of this in that, or that, that kind of is the vibe, but I do think, I do think it's more serious than that in terms of like, you will disappoint your family if you do this thing. And so again, I think it's an, it is an, I want to be like, it is an exaggerated metaphor, but I think it does serve a purpose in the film yeah i mean again that it's it's probably just my own you know 
um, limited perspective on the issues. I, I think that's probably clearly. And it is probably it is a minority about. of cases, right? Like it's not, again, this isn't yeah. necessarily like the wide, like a widely common or accepted thing, but like it definitely does happen. I think that was just the thing holding me back from it as I was like, is this really like, does this need to be said, right? Like, isn't this something that we kind of just generally understand now? Like, and, and mm -hmm. is for the most part, as much as anything is widely accepted in our society, widely accepted. Um, but I understand that adding the immigration aspect to it, you know, yeah. adds a different layer there. That I, And I do um, think the immigration part is a big part of it, right? Like, it's not yeah. like, you know, a 10th generation, I don't know, like Asian Americans family is necessarily feeling that way. I think it, it is a lot to do with coming over immigrating and like living within a very specific community where it's like, why would you ever need to go outside of that community is like kind of the vibe I think. Right. But again, I, this is mostly speaking from like secondhand, third hand information. Um, but that didn't feel so out of sync. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, uh, so it's probably not a, a flaw of the movie then more so again, than just my perspective on things. So I don't hold that against it too much. I do think, yeah. you know, the issues that show up in the third act probably are, a little bit more pronounced and and i still do have weird vibes about the whole government employee thing even yeah i mean sure let's talk let's talk about wade yeah i mean because i mean wade honestly is one of the it, it's on the same wade is as a character is sort of on the same level as the third act in some ways for me i yeah. for, first off at a, at a very basic level i found his character like really difficult to connect to because maybe because I find more relatability in Ember of like who I am as a person. Like she's very serious, very motivated, very driven. And I see a lot of myself in, in those sort of like basic characteristics. Whereas like Wade seems like he's sort of just coasting through life. He's very sappy. I think that that sort of personality is something that I just like can't, is like just simply can't relate to in a lot of ways. And I find I found him to be much less realistic of, of like a character, I think, because of that sort of level of sappiness and his sort of like family dynamic. Although the family dynamic is not as much the issue is more just like this doesn't seem real. Like you don't seem like a real person. And I know that like they're obviously not real people, but it I didn't see as much relatability in those characters. And although I think, you know, Mamadou Ethi is is probably he like he's I think he's done the assignment. But I just think as a character, I found it difficult to sort of like necessarily root for Wade and the relationship that the, the, the sort of centerpiece of the second act of the film almost. I found it more difficult. But I also, you know, I'm, I'm someone who sort of feels that way about a lot of rom-coms. So like that could also just be a me problem. I don't know. Um, it's hard to say. But overall... I found it, yeah, I found Wade tough, a tough nut to crack for me. Yeah, Scott, I think I agree with you on that. I mean, it just feels like in terms of what is this character's motivation, yeah, drive. Totally. Yeah, like it's all about Ember's motivation. The movie is about Ember and her dream. What is her dream, right? Is it to... She, she thought it was one thing, but maybe she doesn't actually yeah, know what it is. She thinks it's to follow yeah. in her father's footsteps, run the store, but maybe it's something different. Maybe she's discovering, you know, now that she gets out of this insular world, like we're talking about, she meets this person who is from the outside, so to speak. Um, it's changing her perspective on things. 
And it just feels like Wade is kind of there and he is the love interest and he is a charming character. To me, I mean, I am a more, I am a, I'm an emotional person. I'm a more emotional person than you are, probably, Scott. Um, so I think that is, you know, you, you're talking Except about you relating, relating more to em, Ember. Yeah, that's fair. But um, in, in other regards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I was able to re- relate at least to that part of the, the Wade character. Maybe sure. not so much the you know again the wealthy family. I think that, yeah, I think the yearning, the yearning, the the whole like him yearning for this connection and this relationship. I, I yeah. get that totally. It's more just like I think even what like what you were saying there, like what his motivations are. Like this guy's from a, like a wealthy family. He quite clearly lives in like the upper class district of the city, and he has this like pretty menial government job where he's like sort of like beat around at work, but he's like this super nice guy. And like he's like a lot like apparently has a lot of charisma and like like gets people on his side like like a lot of those just dots just like didn't fully coalesce for me or I think I made a I made a pun I, mean, I said coagulate in my um in my letterbox <laughs> review um I, I just think that like those those disparate traits although like they can exist within one person it it just didn't feel like super identifiable with me it's just like especially the whole like has a menial government job and is from the super rich family just like my brain was just kind of like snapping. And, you know, again, he's there and he's writing up all the violations and it seems like he's just this very by the book, you know, do good. Yeah, totally. But he's like, yeah. But then the second that Ember opens up to him about her personal struggle, he like completely changes his tune and is like, Oh no, now actually I need to help you like totally stop this from getting to the, the higher ups. Yeah. And it's not clear why that is. Except, I mean, maybe it's just because he's a nice guy. But if that's the case, then that's just a really simplistic. Um, Being nice isn't really like a, a real defining character trait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I do have some problems with him. I mean, I do like the the gag, of course, like I'm saying, um, and of them crying all the time. And, yeah. you know, and actually... You know, we're talking about the end of the movie, um, and it leads to actually a pretty nice moment at the end. Like the you there's like a that? nice payoff, yeah. a nice payoff to something that happens earlier in the movie with involving the bit of them, them crying. And there's a there's a section where they play a game and they try to get each other to cry. Um, that actually is somewhat humorous. Um, so yeah, I liked the way that that paid off in the end. Maybe you didn't, but I did. Um, but, I, I will say yeah. about that, I didn't have any problem with that. I mean, I, I think it was a nice callback. I thought it was like crazy that they made you think that he died. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I sure, was like, yeah. this cannot happen in a Pixar movie. Like, this just cannot yeah. happen. And so it's not going to. But I was just like, I, like, I cannot believe that they did it, that for a It second. can't happen in this Pixar movie, right? That's true. Because yeah. Joe dies in Soul. So, I mean. Uh-huh. Right, I mean, I misremember the main character. You're talking about the yeah. main character, uh-huh. isn't he? Is he not alive at the end? Okay, I mean, maybe he is, but the the movie is him exploring the afterlife for the most part. But anyway, um, right, he does get. I think he gets brought back to life. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Yes, sure. Like Pixar movies can explore death, though, is what I'm saying. But this would not. It would have felt very weird in this movie if it was going to do that. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, in spite of the flaws you know you're rooting for the character maybe it's just because you like ember a lot and so you're rooting for ember to be happy but at the end of the day um 
you know, you're rooting for the character and you're rooting for the relationship. And that's the most important thing for the movie. And so it, you know, like we're saying, we can see the flaws. We're talking about the flaws, but like, it's just kind of irresistible in a way. Um, you know, when you get to, when you get to the end and when it's all sort of trying to pay off. So, yeah. um, you know, mistakes be damned, I guess with, and, with this character. Yeah. And even, yeah. And I know this is not about Wade, but, um, I do think that the, the very final scene of the film, I mean, that emotional payoff is like, I wasn't expecting to tear up a little bit in this movie, but it got the final scene where they're bowing to each other. was that, that did get me. Maybe that was, maybe that was cheap, but, um, I found it satisfying. Yeah, I mean, there's a line, and, and we can transition out of talking about the third act if you want, Scott. But um, sure, sure. There's there's a particular line um, where, you know, the the story has been. Well, first, do you want to say anything else about the rest of the cast? I guess we didn't talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know we jumped we jumped straight away, but I I mean I yeah. can't I, I I know I highlighted it at the beginning, but I can't speak highly enough of of Ember. I think that's a great character. I think that the performance by Leia Lewis is is spot on and the animation design. I mean, the, the we haven't probably talked enough about the animation design in this, but the animation design of the actual elements, I just think is like top notch, like the creativity yeah. of that, the world, the world itself. But then also the actual specific characters like her whole um, the way she interacts with the world around her. And then also, of course, the other the other characters, I think it's just awesome. I think her whole like temper and sort of explode her, her like fiery temper, her explosive temper. I think that is a really cool design. And yeah, I, I've already spoken to how I think her character traits, I, you know, I really connected with, but I just think that at least for me, I was just so sold and I was super invested in everything she was invested in. And it won me over. Like she and that character just won me over. I think the whole family I think is, is kind of charming. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously you're not always, rooting for the for the family who's sort of against her at different points in the film but i found sort of the her relationship with her mom and her sort of willingness to sort of be the driver of accepting ember for who she is over the course of the film i found that to be pretty rewarding and pretty um pretty arresting and the sort of bit around her smelling love i thought that was like kind of a funny thing they kept going back to it. maybe one two two too many times but i did enjoy that as a bit um that they kept calling back to and overall yeah i just think a lot of these characters are funny i do think that as much as you were talking about the scene where they're playing the crying game or whatever in wade's family's apartment i thought that apartment like the design of that was super cool too and her, his family and whatnot that worked i just think a lot of the actual animation and design work is, is spot on and then leia lewis's performance and the sort of specific characterization of ember was just you know, everything that I wanted out of the movie, I think. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's very spirited. It's, you know, you like the character right away. Um, yeah. it, like it reminded to... me a lot of Zootopia, to be honest, in terms of like, <laughs> uh, in terms of like a city in a world that I'm like, mm -hmm. it would be so cool to, to like e experience this more in like another movie. I know they're making a sequel of Zootopia, like whatever. Like, I just sort of want more stories to be told in this world. It's sort of like, you know, the best the best cities and the best worlds that are sort of invented and created in this me in these mediums, like you just want to you want more stories in them. And I think that's sort of how I felt about Element City. 
Sure. And, you know, I like, like, you know, they're running a store, right? And it's yeah. fire stuff, you know, it, it's very, that is yeah. one thing which like resonates obviously with like the immigrant experience and sure. you come to this country, but you bring a part of where you're from with you. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of immigrants end up running businesses like this where they're, you know, sort of. Yeah, they're, uh, they're bedrocks of their community. They're appropriating their own culture, right? For uh, financial you know, gang. Yeah. But um, I don't know if I'd call it cultural it, appropriation, but yes, I, I know what you're saying. I, I, it's, that's a weird way to describe it. I know, but for some reason it was the only way to describe it that I was coming, that was coming to me. But they, I they brought like an authentic piece of their culture to yes. this new place and they've created a community around it. Yes. And you know, you have the fun bit of Wade showing up and eating the, the, the Cole, whatever they're whatever called, called, the rocks, nuts. Yeah. Cold um, nuts. Yeah. And they're extremely spicy haha <laughs> you know you get it but yeah um but yeah as far as ember goes like i said i don't think i have too much more to add great character you're rooting for her the whole time you're rooting for the romance and that's mainly because of her what do you think um, of gail the sports sports fan big sport i mean i respected that about her and honestly there's a scene where they go to the the sports stadium and uh ember is trying to get the attention of gail to you know not impose these building code violations against her family and gale is very much into the game and it's a uh-huh. playoff game and yeah. uh, it, i know the movie wants us to empathize with ember in that moment and say hey no what she's talking about is actually more important than the sports <laughs> i don't i didn't feel that way um that, yeah. again this is my own my own personal flaws and ignorance i guess uh, <laughs> bleeding into my review of the movie but um it's a playoff game. Like, you know, just, just, just have a seat for 30 minutes or an hour, you know, it, it can wait. Um, <laughs> sure. Don't, don't interrupt someone like this. Don't interrupt the super fans when they're, when they're watching a playoff game. Yeah, please Nothing like disrespect. That. Of course. Um, I just obviously, but um, yeah, that was, that was a fun scene. That was a fun scene. And Wade getting the entire crowd. I, I mean, great visual gag. First of all, they literally do the wave right in the yeah, upper deck that was of the great. stadium because it's all of the water elements. Yeah. You know, as somebody who hates the wave and thinks it's the worst thing in professional sport or any type of sports, um, you know, yeah. that that was a nice gag involving that. Um, but yeah, that that was a good character. Scott, moving on to talk about the third act. Yeah. Um, you know, the the what eventually happens is that. Um, Ember comes to the realization that actually her dream is no longer to run the store, but it seems it's to be with, uh, with Wade and to, you know, pursue her own life. Um, specifically, she wants to, she wants to become a glass, she wants to become like a glass blower. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so, um, she she has this conversation with her her parents and i think the the weird vibes of it is that you know what is this actually saying about you know again the immigrant experience that immigrants need to be breaking free from the cultural you know bonds that they have brought with them because in a way she's almost rejecting her own background is you know, maybe that's an unfriendly interpretation, but um, yeah, I would almost take the other side. I know what you're saying, and I and I mm-hmm. and I see that. I, I would almost take like the other side of the coin, where it's not like to be happy, you must break free from your 
your immigrant community. It's more like if you want to break free from your immigrant community, if you feel like you belong somewhere else, that is okay. It's almost like an affirmation as opposed to a rejection. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, it's not that different from what you're saying, but I think I'd almost position it as like, you should feel like it, it is okay for you to do this thing. Not that you like, you have to do this thing to be fulfilled or whatever. It's, it's almost, yeah, it's just almost like the, flip. yeah, I, I, I think that's probably it. I don't know. In a society that, uh, where immigrants, I guess, are, are certainly more persecuted, I would say for being faithful to their own sure. background culture, all of that, it yeah. feels weird to be having that message. Of course, I'm sure this is the experience of people and I wouldn't mean to devalue that or anything like that, but it feels weird that we need to say, Oh yeah, it's okay for you to break free of that. It's like it's almost like in in a way that is what the the bad guys, you know, would want would want to say, right? That uh you need to become more like the rest of us, right? You need to I think the bad guys would say that you need to leave, frankly. Well, yes, of, of course they yeah. would say that. But um, well, no, but but I, I, I don't I know. Mean, we're was, we're, we're laughing about problems. that, but I think that's I think that's true though. Like I think sure, I mean, yeah, you, sure. You, you, you when the flashback or whatever to the Vivisteri, like when what's the dad's name, Bernie? When Bernie is taking Ember mm-hmm. when when she's young to the Vivisteria like garden, and they tell them to like you know go back to where you came from, like get out of here. I think I think that is like the mm-hmm. the bad guy response, and sure. I think. Again, like I don't think that it has to be so black and white. Maybe the movie needs to do a better job of, of, of sort of painting this part of the picture. But like I don't read the movie as, you know, a, a, a like she is breaking free from her community. I view I view the movie as saying like she is taking her community with her, but like she's not staying rooted completely in it. Like she is. Yes, there is some extent of assimilation, but she is sort of forging her own path and her community will always be a part of that. But how is she taking her community with her, I guess, is my question. She's using her, her skills like she's using her ability is with fire to mold glass and creating a career out of that in like the broader community. Right. But like, also that is a it's skill like... that is unique to her, to her community. But is it unique to her community or is it just unique to her? Because it almost is portrayed in the movie as if like, she's the only one who is able to do this. Right. Like, do you ever I, I see anyone else? No, no. Again, I, okay. I see what you're saying. I don't think we see, I don't think we see anybody else doing it, but like, I don't think that we're led to believe that she has a unique, I think she might have a unique artistic ability to, to do that. But like, she has the actual like skills to do the thing like that. Her being sure. fire allows her to, melt down the glass or the sand or whatever and create and create something formable. I think it's, it's one of those things where like her innate abilities has, has empowered her and enabled her to be so proficient at it. And her combine that with her, her, her artistic ability that again, you don't see a ton of that in the film, like the artistic side beyond like her shaping the glass and stuff. Like it's sort of the combination of those things that she's able to take that with her. But I also think the fact that she has the approval of her parents and she has that that bond and that connection. She's not breaking away from that. She's she's physically removing herself from that community, like quite like geographically. But like I think that her community is still with her because she has that tether and she has that connection. Like she's not left on bad terms. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that makes sense. Maybe my real problem is just I, the fact that Wade coming back to Wade is like the one. It's the tough point. It's the unlocks tough point. all of this for her, right? Like, yeah, this I is agree. the guy, really. Like, <laughs> well, let's see. This is the thing. You got to wait for the sequel, Scott, where she like moves on from this loser and finds somebody sure, else. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, com- coming back to it, the line which did like hammer at home for me is is when they say to her like you know the store was never the dream you were the dream i found that, that that's actually part where i feel like i'm very, not sure yeah yeah i did find that like you know maybe it doesn't fully work in the context of the movie or something but i found that to be like a very moving and like succinct line that totally know, i and that's where i think going back to what i was saying earlier i think about maybe the parents that's almost where the friction exists for me in the movie because I think that the movie's resolution is saying if parents remember, if immigrant parents remember that the dream is that for their kids to be happy and have a life that they didn't have access to, then like, this is how you should feel. And like, that's like, that is sort of the resolution of the film. Like that is the answer to the pro like that is part of the answer to the problem. And I think that that is what something I find it very effective, but I wonder, you know, is I guess I wonder, is that a satisfying answer to the real world problem that this is a metaphor for like, it's not like, cause like the film feels a lot about like, how can we empower Ember to like create a better life for herself? And one of those answers is like, if her parents just like, don't suck, you know what I mean? And like, that's like not a super satisfying but, answer from Ember's perspective. And the parents don't really seem to suck from what we see. I feel like that, you know, sure. it's almost doing more of telling us that they are pressuring her than it is showing us that because yeah. they, yes, of course, it's like, oh, someday you're going to take over the store. Well, they say but it so many telling, times, yeah. They're telling her this when she's like a little kid. Like, of course, you know, that's what they're going to say when she's a kid. When she grows up, it's like, well, she wants to do this, right? Like, you know, for, for most of the movie. It's a feedback she is, loop for sure. Yeah, she is wanting to take over the store. So it's not like they're pressuring her. It doesn't feel like they're pressuring her into doing anything because it seems like she wants to do this the whole time. It's only much later that she realizes maybe she doesn't. And then, you know, maybe there's a little bit of tension there. But ultimately, again, they come to this realization that, hey, you were you were the dream all along. We just want what's best for you. We mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be running the store. Right. So maybe there just wasn't enough tension there that we didn't see enough tension there between her and the parents. I think that what you're saying, I I see, I guess I I see what you're saying there for me. I feel like a lot of the immigrant experience here that we're talking about feels like a bit of a feedback loop where it's like the expectation is that she will take over the shop. Like that is what she's told when she's young. She like sort of, almost like she sort of embraces that, right? Because it's all she knows. It's like what her parents have told her. She's like, I want to do this. And her father no longer has to be like, you're going to take over the store now when I like in a, in a few years or in two years in one year or whatever. But it's like, it is this like sort of expectation reality feedback loop that is created where the father doesn't have to, doesn't have to say it anymore because like she wants to do it because she feels like that's what she has to do to fulfill her parents' wishes for her. And it is also like kind of his expectation to the, to the extent that it's like to the extent that that's what we know. And it, but it creates this loop of like, he thinks that she wants to do it. She thinks that he wants him to do her to do it. Like it is this, like this, it's this, it's this almost like relationship where things build on each other. And there's, she's only 
she's still so young, right? Like she doesn't, like she hasn't experienced anything else. She doesn't know that she might want to do something different. Um, she's not mature enough, frankly. I think that's what part of what the movie's about is this coming of age element for her and, and realizing there's a world outside of her community, like her immediate community. And they don't have a conversation about that once that's happening. Instead, there's all these sort of, there is, there is this tension that's primarily focused around her relationship with Wade, but also exists in her ability to, you know, let her family down by betraying them in scene. It is related to this relationship, right? But like this notion of, of letting her family down and part of that, that sort of ties up with it is that you can't be trusted to run the shop because of this. And so I, I think that there is still some sort of like expectation that exists there. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, to, to separate those things out at some point because of just how like intertwined a lot of those experiences are. Cause it's all she knows. Yeah, I don't know that the movie does the best job of wrapping up the whole temper part of it either, because what are we supposed to feel about that aspect of her? Like, you know, it makes her not right for running the store, maybe. Maybe that's something that we understand. But how is it going to affect her in life? Because it has these destructive consequences right when it when it does happen is that some part of herself that she can she should just accept and it's okay that sometimes she gets angry and stuff like that yeah or like is it just a a bad thing period end of sentence that she still has to to get over like i don't know that the movie takes a side on that in the end yeah, the, the movie at times almost plays the emotional element, or at least I thought it was trying to explain. Actually, the reason why she has a temper is because she's not doing what makes her happy. I feel like the, the movie at certain points tries to play that. Well, I, I, I guess, but that's not really, I feel like that's not really what we see. Because when she gets angry, it's because the customers are being annoying as crap, right? Like, sure, yeah. anybody no, think, would get angry in those circumstances. Like, I don't well, even think yeah. it's like a situation of like, oh, well, she's not cut out to do this particular job. She doesn't like doing this particular job because, yeah. you know, the, she, if she did, she would just be able to put up with these customers like this. I don't think that's true. Like, I think... But I agree with you, but I don't think that's what the that. movie's saying. I think the movie's saying that, like, okay. she is unhappy because she is doing a job that she's not meant to do. The implication being that, like, if she goes and explores this career in glass making that like she will be a more like mellow, less temperamental person. Like that's the implication. I hear what you're saying and agree with you. Like I don't I don't think that it, it, the movie does a good job parsing all those things out and wrapping that up. But like I think that's what the movie's going for. It's not fully played out, I don't think, because we don't really ever see her not throwing, like not having a temper. And we, I think we typically mm-hmm. think of temper as this thing where like it has to do with patience. It has to do with, temperament and like your ability to like be cool under pressure and whatnot and that sort of thing and we think of that as things like okay because you have like you have a temper therefore you are not maybe cut out for this type of work whereas the movie i think is saying like you will be able to control your temper better if you are doing something you are passionate about i don't know if like life plays out that way um which i think is maybe the point that you're you're making and i just think that the film's perspective on her like explosiveness is seems to be positioned around like not whether her temperament fits the job, but whether the job molds her temperament into something that is more manageable. Maybe if you just did what yeah. you were happy about, Scott, you'd be a, you'd be a more calm, happier person. That's I guess I so. I, I just, yeah. uh, I, I just don't feel like in the end of the movie, like she's healed of it necessarily. So it's like, you're right. We're going to need the sequel to find out. 
what happened to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, in in summation, yeah, I think my thoughts overall in the movie. We've gotten really deep into it, but um, yeah. I think that the emotional beats work for me. The narrative beats in a lot of places don't. But as somebody who generally values the emotional experience over the, you know, narrative experience, vibes over plot, if you want Hell to yeah, brother. Uh, put it in the common parlance. Uh, yeah. um, the vibes are great. Yeah, it, it worked. So it, yeah. it ends up being a, a net positive for me in the end. Even though some people, I, I totally understand the people who are looking at, at it and I, like, yeah. this falls apart completely. Like, sure, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. It just has good vibes. The vibes are great. That's what I'll say. All right, Scott, what's your favorite senior moment from Elemental? Man, I, I love, uh, all, as with a lot of these types of movies, I just so dig getting to explore the different parts of the city. I really liked Thomas Newman's score on this as well, something that we haven't really talked about much. I think there's a couple scenes where Ember, sometimes with Wade, is like going through the city and you're seeing different parts of it. Um, so I, I just sort of loved the exploration of the city almost and the combination with that. If I had to pick one, you actually mentioned it already. I was going to I was sort of saving keeping my powder dry. But I do think the is it the wave breakers? Is that what the team is called? I think um, so. Yeah. The playoff game. No, the the windbreakers, right? It's oh, the, the windbreakers. Yeah. And they're playing. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The Windbreakers, you're right, yeah. It's it's another pun. All the team names are puns. Um, mm-hmm. That scene where they sort of go, they're like walking through the city and they go into the stadium and God knows what's, what the sport's called that they're playing. But like the, sort of getting that sort of like the vibe element that you're talking about, vibes over plot kind of. I think that, that sort of scene captures that. I think another one is when they go see the Vivisteria garden underwater. Like that's another great scene. I think just like something where they can really show off the strength of the film, which is Ember as a character, the animation, the world building element city. I think that's where the, the film sort of sings. And, and that's the scene that is an example of that. Yeah. And for me, it's kind of the, the final wrap up there. Like we've been talking about with yeah, great scene um, with her at the fireplace, you know, sort of the, the climax of the, the arc that she has with her family. And then, you know, Wade coming back, uh and specifically he comes back when she makes him cry himself back into existence by referencing the stuff, stuff that he that had said he to her, her yeah. earlier yeah. during the yeah. game to try and make her cry um nice and it worked she cried she shed a tear it did uh nothing wrong with crying if you're listening to this if you somehow made it deep in, this deep into the review um never be ashamed to cry i will retweet let, let that be my lesson of wisdom for this episode. I don't have very much to offer, but that is one thing I do. Um, let's put a score on it, Scott. What do you give Elemental out of 10? 7.3. Yeah, I'm going 7.2. I'm right there in the same uh, range as you. Honestly, it's an enjoyable time. Watch it with your kids. Um, you know, Watch but it also, I, I, yeah, I think uh, as with most Pixar films, yeah. I think you can have an equally enjoyable experience as an adult watching the movie. Um, not in the top tier of Pixar because it's not able to, you know, connect it's not everything. able to be one of the greatest films of all time. So it's not in the top tier of Pixar. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. But um, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm mostly joking, but they have, I mean, they uh-huh. have some incredible films in there. In there. They do. Uh, it's not on that level, but 
it's nowhere near the failure that I was worried it was going to be or that some of the reviews out there say it's going to be. Again, it's a particular type of experience that will probably appeal to a particular type of person. But I think we were both that type of person, I guess, Scott, because it more or less worked. I, they just like they get me with this with the cities the world building the sort of like fantastical elements they i'm a sucker for it scott i'll, I'll admit yeah. this is like totally in like the luca onward realm of pixar which is like is it mid-tier sure but it's still like you've made a good movie guys like you've made a good movie yeah absolutely um all right scott we are going to take a short break when we come back we have some news and more news in the world of disney uh, continuing right along, unfortunate news, including a release date delay, as well as the sure. announcement of yet another pointless live action remake. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, we reviewed a Disney-associated movie uh, in our main portion of the show, and now we're going to talk about some more news involving the mouse. Uh, first, sure. Scott, we have the news that there is another new live-action remake in the works. Um, yeah. It appears that The Little Mermaid's performance, which I don't think has been quite what they had hoped for uh, financially. I would imagine that they hoped for more. It doesn't appear that that has deterred them. Maybe some people are going to go see a live action remake of Bambi. Uh, I am not going to be. They're going to kill a real deer is what I hear. Yeah. Uh, But that is the latest Disney animated property that's going to be adapted uh, in a live action format because I guess they're just working their way through the canon. Um, And because I guess this is the thing to do now if you're an Oscar winning filmmaker, Scott, uh, Sarah Pauly has signed on to direct this film. Um, Mm -hmm. Of course, she just came off her Oscar win for uh, writing the screenplay for her film Women Talking, which I was very disappointed with that film. Um, But, uh, you know, this, I guess, falls in the wake of, for example, Barry Jenkins doing The Lion King, which is the Lion King sequel, yeah. uh, which I think we're going to see sometime in the nearer future. But I assume that's like um, an original. I mean, it's adapted. I know it's adapted, but like that is not a I'm assuming they're not remaking yeah. the straight to DVD Lion King 2 or whatever. Of course not. Of course <laughs> That'd not. be crazy if they did that. <laughs> Maybe they would, though. I don't know. Yeah, uh, of course not. But I mean, again, it, it is just the concept of it is just kind of crazy to me, right? You, you win an Oscar for making what yeah. Some people, not me, but what a lot of people would say was like a very important, powerful movie about, you know, women's experiences. Um, and sure. you decide that you're going to follow that up. Your your stock has never been higher, right? If you're Sarah Pauly, your, your reputation has never been higher. Yep. And you're going to make a Bambi movie, a Bambi remake. Um, I mean, I'm sure they, they she's getting the bag, but um, I'm sure Chloe Zhao got the bag, too. I was going to say, Chloe Zhao, Barry Jenkins, like it fits in this trend now that I'm not really a fan of because we saw how it turned out for Chloe Zhao. And as much as faith as I have in Barry Jenkins, I had unlimited faith also in Chloe Zhao going into Eternals and in that bomb. So 
Um, yeah. Anyway, Sarah Polly will be making a Bambi film. Scott, the only, um, the only thing which gets me excited about this is that, of course, you know, Bambi does have music, and uh, it appears that there's going to be some original music written for the film by not, not by Lin Manuel Miranda, not by Lin Manuel Miranda, but by Casey Musgraves, right? Country artist who okay. is a favorite of mine. So, okay. um, you know. A mild expectation for the soundtrack, I guess, but uh, for the movie itself, if we're still doing this thing in 2025 or whenever this is going to come out, oh. probably even later than that. Um, yeah, you know, hopefully there's something else coming out that week. That's all I'm going to say. Did I didn't even I forgot that Bambi had music. I'll be honest. Um, what are the what are, well, what are the songs in Bambi? I don't know. What they I guess are. I'm assuming. I guess I'm assuming that it did. If they're making it, if if this is going to be a musical adaptation, but I don't think I've ever seen Bambi, so maybe it doesn't. So no, I'm, I'm sure. That's no, difference. I'm sure that you're right. I just like okay. I've only seen the movie like a long time. But like I don't like think once. there's anything iconic from it, but they. I suppose they could be doing a reverse Mulan, right? Where it was not a musical, and they're going to make it a musical now. Which okay, that's. That's something, I guess. A reverse move on. Never say that phrase again. Never oh go God. full reverse move oh on. My but, God. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Jesus. Scott, uh, speaking of, of things that are in the future for the Walt Disney Corporation, unfortunately, we have a film that we actually are looking forward to that we're now going to have to wait a little bit longer for. Yeah. Tell us more about it. To wrap things up first, though, I did look it up. So it does have four original songs in Bambi but just for like it doesn't have a sound like a full soundtrack like a lot of like the 90s or whatever the ones that we've been typically remaking but love is a song is apparently from Bambi I don't actually not really sure that old chestnut it was nominated for best original song at the Academy Awards that year in 1940 whatever that was yeah 1940 yeah 1940 World War II I think is uh, the name (laughs) of that one so um, anyway moving on yes we got a ton of of calendar updates from disney and they released sort of an updated view of their next decade i guess and release schedules the reason i say decade is because they delayed uh several of the avatar movies the three remaining date like the three remaining dated avatar sequels avatar three four and five which is really the core crux of what i care about in this calendar update they also delayed some marvel movies they dated some spider-man movies but i'm less interested in that personally we we're originally going to be getting Avatar 3 Christmas next year. I think, yes, it was Christmas 2024. That film has been pushed back to Christmas, is it 2025, I believe? Yeah, it was pushed back one year, right? So. One, Yeah, and but Avatar 4 was pushed back to Christmas 2029. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb, Scott, and I'm not sure we're still going to be doing this podcast in 2029. <laughs> I'm not going to call my shot on that, but it feels unlikely that we will still be firing off weekly podcasts in six years. Much more importantly than that, Scott, there are, there's a chance that James Cameron is not alive in 2029. Don't say that. Don't even, don't even, don't even bring that energy into the world. He's not that old. He's not that old. He's, he's way younger than Scorsese. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But he will be nearing 80, if not 80 in 2029. Yeah, I mean, and then 2031, Avatar 5 is scheduled for 2031. Um, He is 68 years old right now, which means that in 2031, he will be pushing 76, 77 years old in 2031. So, look, he's not a spring chicken. You're right. He's not young. I think he's got this left in him, but 
I think we sort of know how he's going to be wrapping up his career. I mean, maybe he's one of these people like Scorsese. He's like literally just going to be making movies until he's in the ground. But I, it seems like he has the rest of his, uh, you know, he has his next eight years planned out, assuming that he actually directs, you know, the three remaining films that are slated in the franchise. So I guess I guess we'll see about that. Um, but yeah, 2025, tw- sorry, 2025 now for Avatar 3, 2029 for Avatar 4, 2031 for Avatar 5. Uh, this was a big L. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It was very sad to see these movies pushed back. But what I'll say is that we waited 13 years or 14 years or whatever it was for Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Um, I am okay waiting an extra year for Avatar 3 if it means that it is as good as The Way of Water. Uh, Scott, I got my 4K Blu-ray steelbook of Avatar The Way of Water this this weekend. So uh, I was reminded that we just need to allow Jim the time he needs to do his business. I mean, that's the positive outlook on, on it. I, I, my, my outlook, I guess, is we waited 13 years, yeah, for Avatar The Way of Water. Why can't we get the other, the next one, like, right after that? You know, like, what You know how crazy those effects kitchen? must be? Because they've shot, the, they've I, shot I the film already. They shot the film years ago. I know. That's, that's what I'm saying. What were <laughs> we doing cooking. in the kitchen? He's James, cooking hard, man. <laughs> I suppose He's cooking more than, you've ever seen, than you could ever believe. It's not that much longer to wait uh but uh yeah i just well the good news is scott if you're getting bored waiting you can go watch marvel and dc movies in the meantime congratulations (sighs) but fewer of them because those also we didn't talk about it but those also did get pushed back um yes i think my i don't i didn't actually even look that closely so i hesitate to, to speak with any sort of authority but i believe that secret wars so like the two part like kang dynasty Secret Wars, which is like the two next big like Avengers, like Infinity War, Endgame type double feature in back to back years. Originally, that was going to be 2025 and 2026. I believe that is now 2026 and 2027. So those films have been pushed back um, a year as they're citing the writer's strike, I believe. But uh, I got some bad news, and it's a declining quality of their films and a, a big Jonathan Majors problem that they're trying to sort out. The writers have been striking for a while at Marvel, I think, but long before it was cool to do so. But yeah. um, AI is featured prominently. I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, Jonathan Majors certainly hasn't made things easier for them, but I think you and I were both of the opinion that even prior to that, Marvel didn't seem to have any idea what they were doing and what they were building towards with you know, these films. I think the scary thing for them is that what they were building towards was just sort of this big bet on Jonathan majors and, and Kang Mm -hmm. as a villain. And right now I'd say that stock has uh, fallen precipitously and unclear if it will be rebounding (laughs) until, until well, maybe they can just rely on the next most memorable villain from a recent MCU film, you know, which was of course, Tina Cuerta's character from black Panther Wakanda forever. I don't know what could go wrong there that, um, you know, would, yeah. would cause them any issues in the future. Yeah, good thing. Um, he, he, oh, yeah, his record. Checks is, watch. Oh, yeah. I'm actually getting some news right yeah. now, Scott. Yeah. Apparently, it has gone wrong. Actually, yeah. man, this is this is unfortunate, isn't it? Well, they their really most recent memorable villain was. Uh, I don't remember what the character's name was. So there you go. <laughs> the most memorable one is I can't remember. <laughs> I can remember his face right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was part of the joke, but it's the guard, the guardians. One. People were talking about how good the guardians no. was, but I can't remember his name. So yeah. Forget me, I guess. 
that says it all right there. It does. Also, um, he seemed pretty dead at the end of that movie. But, you know, no one's ever truly gone. So you never know. I will say the other thing, Star you. Wars movie, Scott. We haven't had a Star Wars movie since Rise of Skywalker. It's been great, the, hasn't it? End of 2019. <laughs> Everything's fine. We got Andor. It's great. Everyone's loving life uh, over here on the Star Wars TV shows. We will not talk about mandalorian season three or book of boba fett or obi-wan we will not be speaking the the names of those television shows but we are going to have two star wars movies on the calendar in 2026 uh why they're choosing to release no movies in seven years and then two in the same year scott beats me couldn't tell you why they'd be doing that um but they apparently will be releasing a star wars film in the summer of 2026 followed by a film in the holiday period of 2026 as well Maybe we'll see if Kathleen Kennedy can actually produce a film. We'll see if she can if she can push those out. The good news is, Scott, that's still three years from now. So you got a long time to let it simmer. Yeah, maybe we'll all be dead by then. Um, I mean, look, I, right. I know a guy if you need to arrange that for yourself. I'm sure you do in, in New York. Um, all right, Scott, uh, that should do it for this episode of the podcast. Sure. Um, where can our listeners find you on social media? At Shelton2013. And I am at Scarby Dent on all platforms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash media plug pods. A bunch of tiers over there. But even if you can't support us over there, we hope you will not forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And of course, we hope that you'll be back for our next episode when, like we've said, we'll be discussing the latest film from famed auteur Wes Anderson, Asteroid City. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.